If you have your Bibles, please open them to the book of Colossians. If you're not familiar with the Bible, uh, Colossians is a letter in the kind of second half of the Bible, kind of towards the end. It's small. It's only a few pages in length, but hopefully you can find it. it is, we call it a book today, but it's actually a letter to the church at Colossae a uh, long time ago, about 2,000 years ago. It was inspired by God, written by the Apostle Paul. And Paul was a Jew among Jews, but he was called by God in an actual physical encounter uh, with Jesus Christ to apostleship. And his ministry was a ministry to the Gentiles. Uh, that would be most people here today. And so he's writing to this church, but this church 2,000 years ago was full of Gentiles and Jews. And there was a lot of background, uh, just like each of you has a personal spiritual story. A lot of background in here, buried background. And he was trying to bring them together and help them to mature in Christ. And you don't write a letter to help someone mature in Christ if they're already mature. Doesn't make sense, right? I don't write a letter to help you learn how to be a mechanic if you're already a mechanic. Uh, so the challenge here is maturity in Christ. And Oftentimes in the, the church, or at least churches I've been a part of, we kind of look over this because it's hard. I don't know about you, but anytime someone starts talking to me about struggling, I'm like, that's not what I'm here for. I've struggled all week in my job or at school or in relationships. I want to show up to church on a Sunday morning to kind of coast be encouraged, have something easy. Someone hand me some coffee and a donut and put a smile on my face. I don't want to talk about struggle, right? I get that elsewhere. And so we have tended to avoid talking about it. But that's the great thing as we look in what God's word says, he gives us what we need. He informs us of what his desire is for our lives. And it's not always just easy stuff. And you need to hear, and I believe we need to hear today, what he has to say about this struggle for maturity in Christ. I believe it has incredible application, especially for our church here this morning. So let's look at Colossians. We're going to be covering verses 24 in chapter 1 through chapter 2, verse 5. And just because there are different chapters here doesn't mean the thought isn't continuing. The chapters and verses were put into scripture many, many years after they were written, and they're not always in the, the best of places. So I believe this continuing thought of the Apostle Paul to the church covers two different chapters. And so let's begin in chapter 1, verse 24. We'll just take it verse by verse. As a matter of fact, let me read through it all so we kind of get an overview and we'll go back. It says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom 
that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order in the firmness of your faith in Christ. And then he will continue to expand on that as you move further into chapter 2. So let's go back verse by verse and see how this applies to our life and, and what it means. Beginning in verse 24, he says, Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Just unpacking this verse is very important for especially immature believers or new believers. This should teach you how to study the Bible. Because as you read this, you could say, well, is there something in Christ's atoning work on the cross that's somehow lacking for our salvation? Do, do we need to go through life looking to beat ourselves up and, and live this afflicted life? Is there something missing in Christ's work on the cross? Because you could easily interpret it that way. Well, how do you study the Bible? Well, you read something, and if, if it has multiple ways that you could interpret it, you look at context. Where else and what else does the Bible say about Christ's suffering, specifically Paul and what was happening there. So I want to encourage you to hold your spot there and turn to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 9, verses 13 through 16. It's just a few pages to the left in the Bible. Sorry, I've been using the computerized version of the Bible way too long. Uh, Acts chapter 9, verses 13 through 16. So this is Paul saying, now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. I don't know about you. I don't rejoice in sufferings at all. <laughs> I don't like them. That's the reason why you very rarely see me doing any sort of cardio. I hate cardio. Uh, maybe you do too as well. I'm not sure if uh, treadmills are from the God or from Satan, but I'm not going to test it. Acts chapter 9, verses 13 through 16. Hope you, hopefully you've found that by now. This is the conversion story, how the apostle Paul, he used to be named Saul, came to know Christ. And if you know anything about the history of the New Testament, Saul was this persecutor of the church. He literally would imprison Christians and try to kill them and may have been there at the presence affirming the stoning of Stephen. So what is this saying? Well, uh, this is Ananias. Ananias was involved. Jesus was speaking, or the Lord was speaking to Ananias. And, and this is Ananias' response to the Lord. He says, but Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, referring to Saul at this time, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call upon your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine 
to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my or for the sake of my name. You see, Paul or Saul had been inflicting great suffering upon the people, the Jews and, and eventually the Gentiles who had trusted in Christ. And so in God's both mercy and his justice, part of his ministry, part of his calling was for Paul personally to experience great suffering. In God's sovereignty, why? Maybe he could relate. Maybe he could uh, experience a greater joy in suffering than, than not suffering. Maybe it was a part of, of a of an ability to empathize with those who have been persecuted. Maybe it was to show that even an individual perhaps guilty of murder, not just murder, but murdering believers, was still an individual that God could show and express his grace and his love towards. So having understood that piece, that background, when we read in Colossians, this isn't now a statement of somehow Christ's work lacking or us having to look for some sort of suffering and affliction in our own lives to make up for something that Christ didn't do. No, this is specific to the ministry of Paul. So back in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, he says, Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. He's moved from a persecutor and a killer to someone who has experienced this, this magnitude of grace and love of God, that he literally can rejoice in suffering for this good and awesome God. He says, I, I rejoice in my suffering for your sake and in my flesh. I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church. If you ever hear anyone demeaning the body of Christ, church, believers gathered together, walk away. You are not hearing the truth. The biblical view of the church is a group of people, this group, that God loves so much. The Apostle Paul could say, I, I can rejoice in my suffering for your sake. The Apostle Paul wasn't someone who said, ah, uh, church isn't for me. I'll go worship up here on a mountain by myself. No, the church is the body of Christ. It's important. And he could rejoice in suffering for it. Let that sink in. If you're, if you're just kind of on the periphery of church, much less rejoicing in suffering for it, is that an area in which you need to mature? Is that an area in which you, maybe at one time you were really close to the body of Christ and everyone in here knew you or whatever church you were a part of, but now if you just kind of walk in, they're like, eh, I think I know them. I'm, I hope I can remember their name. Now get involved. Get plugged in. Know what it means to walk with Christ in ministry and the challenges of that ministry. Verse 25, he continues on. He says, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God. So we saw that there was this specific miraculous intervention and calling of the Apostle Paul into ministry, and he reaffirms it here. 
He says, that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. So the Apostle Paul's ministry was to call into action the church to enact laws that prevented crucifixion, to feed the poor. Was the Apostle Paul's ministry to create great worship music, to create great children's programs, to maybe write lots of books to become famous? It's amazing, and this is the challenge of maturing in a body, how easily the church can swerve from one lane to another on what the purpose, the overall purpose and mission of the church is. It is to be disciples of Jesus and to make disciples, and we do that through God's revelation of his word, his desires for us, and the Holy Spirit at work in our lives among the body together. This change in maturity occurs within a community. We are to love one another, encourage one another, rebuke one another. All these different aspects occur together in the body. And his ministry was to make the word of God fully known. You see, a lot of people come to church and they know part of the word of God. They know the gospel. They get saved. But just simply ask yourself, how much of God's word do you really know? I mean, for instance, if I asked you to go to a particular, your favorite website, you know the website address, you know it. Or if I asked you to cook a recipe, you, or to cook a meal and, and use your favorite recipe, you probably don't have to pull the recipe out of the, out of the, the cookbook and, and pull it up and look at it. You just know it. Or if, today I can't ask you if you know a phone number, because no one knows a phone number. We just go to our contacts. But you probably still know your address, Maybe. Right? You just know it. You don't know the other address because you use Google Maps, but you know how, at least how to use Google Maps, probably. What do you really know about God's Word? If you, I mean, let's, let's be honest. Let's do simple math here. If you thought to yourself about fully knowing God's Word, how many verses? There are tens of thousands of verses in the Bible. How many verses? Think to yourself. And this is Paul's ministry. It's easy to get distracted into other ministries. There are other things that are good, but foundationally, we stand on the word of God. Verse 26, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. There was this mystery. God didn't choose to fully reveal what the law was pointing to, the Mosaic law and the other laws He didn't fully choose to reveal that until the days of Jesus. It was a mystery, and there was a purpose for this. Verse 27, he says, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, this is important. Once again, very applicable today. We really don't even think about this in our Bible studies or our small groups because we are generally of the same category of people in North America today. We, we kind of segregate on Sunday mornings, and most churches are filled with people who would consider themselves Gentiles, those who are not descendants 
of Abraham through the specific lineage that the Bible lays out. So because of that, we overlook in the New Testament letters oftentimes this challenge that there was this great mystery that once God had not revealed himself fully to the Gentiles. He had called a nation to be a light among other nations. And in Christ, he reveals himself to all peoples. Now you're thinking, well, all right, that's a nice fact. All right, let's, let's move on, Scott. Well, this is important because he's writing to a church that even though they're there within a generation of, of Christ and they have the apostle Paul himself writing to them, they'd already looked over this fact and had returned, you'll see this in chapter 2, to placing themselves either knowingly or unknowingly or maybe just for fun back under the Mosaic laws. In chapter 2, it talks about them beginning to go back to worshiping on the Sabbath, to keeping the Sabbath, to keeping other festivals, to making issues of what you eat and drink. Specifically, um, in chapter 2, verses 16 through 23 of Colossians, uh, they had begun reinstituting many of the Old Testament laws and customs. And you would think, well, I'm not. Be careful. There are a lot of people within the church today that have begun to do that. Well, Scott, I know, it's, but it's just for fun. I, I, I get that. History's fun, but you have to be careful because as you read the New Testament, you realize what a huge problem this can be. What starts out as fun can, can lead to serious problems. And, and maybe you're new to Christianity, but even Christian tradition, set aside Jewish tradition, Christian tradition can be a problem. Were you in church on Easter? I happen to know there are a couple families in this community that did not come to church for Easter. You know why? Because they couldn't afford new fine clothes. In their mind, in, the, in their past spiritual journey, going to church on Easter meant you, you get dressed up in your finest. The ladies need a, a nice new dress. The kids certainly need new clothes. And, and so they couldn't afford it. So guess what? It, I mean, there's nothing wrong with getting dressed up, right? But it prevented two families from being in church on, on Easter Sunday. Tradition. Be very careful about what you appeal to as, well, kind of fun and neat. And, and we can justify it through, if we look at it just the right way. But in the early church here in Colossae, this great mystery was important that the Gentiles were received the riches of the glory of God, Christ in them, the hope of glory. Now, if you're here today and you're like, wow, that kind of sounds weird, Jesus dwelling in you, well, that gets back to the idea that when you trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible says the Holy Spirit indwells you. He creates in you a new heart. You are a new creation in Christ. Now, the challenge is, as you're about to read, is this. You have a new heart, but you still have the old flesh, and there's a battle. There's an, there's an in 
internal struggle. You, and Colossians is going to talk about this. Putting off the old self, crucifying or dying to the old self, and putting on the new self. You are no longer enslaved to sin and that sin nature. You now have the choice. Christ set you free, but with that freedom, you have to choose. Do you choose to follow the old nature, those old passions, or do you choose to put on the new self? And part of that is being renewed in your mind. It doesn't just happen. This is where the struggle goes. Like, you know the gospel. You have trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. All right, you are saved. You have eternal life. You're set free. But from this point forward, it takes some work. It takes some choices. Verse 28 here, it says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom. Now, I don't know about you, but that just kind of stinks, right? You don't go to church to get warned most of the time. Like, I want to worship. I just want to praise Jesus. And here this pastor has to bring me down and warn me. I'm like, man, I'm not a kid. I don't, I'm, I'm done with the warnings. I'm, I'm tired of mom lecturing me. I grew up. Quit warning me. But the Apostle Paul does this to the church. Again, for a purpose. If there's no need for warning, you don't receive a warning. There was a need for a warning. What is he warning? Him we proclaim, Jesus, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. It is this Jesus who is proclaimed, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Maturity is not easy. It's a challenge. I was reading this leadership book by John Maxwell, and I've shared this with a couple of you. Um, he writes this. He says, we may not get, or, or we may get what we want, may or may not, but we will always get what we choose. You may or may not get what you want, but you will always get what you choose. And then I had a good friend give me some more wisdom. And he says, what you choose reveals what you really want. Like, I might want to get in shape, but if I choose to eat ice cream every night, I don't really want to get in shape. What I really want is some chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream at 9 o'clock at night. That's what I really want. I don't want six-pack abs. I want ice cream, right? So in church, you're choosing to be here today. You could have been doing a lot of other stuff. But after that, you're going to face a lot of things in life. And every single morning, every single day, there are going to be choices. Do you, like we talked about God's word, how much do you actually know? Well, in order to do that, you have to carve out, carve out additional time. So when the alarm clock goes off, you have to choose the night before what time it goes off. And you might be bold, like, I'm going to get up an hour earlier to spend time with God. And the alarm clock goes off, and at 5 in the morning, let's say, do you choose to hit the snooze because you really want to spend time with God, or do you really want sleep? your choices are going to reveal what you really want. There's a warning. It's not easy. And he teaches everyone with all wisdom 
that we may present everyone or he may present everyone mature in Christ. Just simply ask yourself this, some more simple math. I know it's hard Sunday morning, it's not lunchtime yet. Simple math though. How old were you when you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Think to yourself, how old were you? And then ask, how old am I now? And do the math. How long have you been a believer in Jesus Christ? All right? Now, how much more mature are you now than when you first believed? Not how many Sundays have you attended church, not how much have you served, how many mission trips you've gone on, or how much money that you've given. I mean, literally, your character in Christ, if, if you're standing before the judgment of God, and he looks at you, and he knows your heart, are you more loving? Are you more Christ-like? Do you really, truly know God's word and have applied it so it's changed? Do you know what God says about marriage? Do you know what God says about grace? Do you know what God says about hope? Do you know what God says about strength? Do you know what God says about children? I mean, just go through the list. Are you more mature? And how long have you been waiting? See, it's tough. Because in verse 29, notice this. He says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. We'll go through this quickly. But know this, ministry can be toil and struggle. There are so many people that have left ministry because they were not mature. They didn't realize when they got into ministry that it can be toil and a struggle. Once again, like, Scott, this isn't motivating me today. Monday's coming. I need something. I need something encouraging, right? You're talking to me about toil and struggle. That's not good. Well, here's the cool thing. Watch this. He says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that powerfully works within me. If you choose to try to mature in Christ and help others mature in Christ, you're going to experience the power and the working and the energy of God like no other time in your life. I mean, let's ask, ask yourself, like just me battling, you know, eating chocolate chip cookie dough at nine o'clock at night and I'm trying to honor God with my body. Like, does God really need to work within me as I'm just sitting there plowing down the ice cream going, hmm, this is good. Do I really need God's work or his energy to help me do that? No. Now, our teachers downstairs right now struggling with your kids they need God's energy. I'm telling you, they need his power working within them, right? It's, it's amazing. There was this great event this past Friday here. The, the preteens had the girls and they had a slumber party here. And it was awesome watching God work within these adults and, and the, the energy and God's spirit just moving among this just simple event of, of God moving in, in these teen girls' lives. It was cool but it can be toil and struggle, but you need his energy. You don't have his energy, you'll burn out. Verse 1, chapter 2, he says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea. Laodicea was a church uh, about 10 miles away from uh, Colossae to the north along uh, this road that, that ran kind of in a valley. 
And for all those who have not seen me face to face, quickly, it's okay to let people to know how you're struggling in ministry. Not only is it okay to let them know that you struggle, but let them know that you're struggling for them. That's okay. It's encouraging. Has anyone ever attempted to pour out their life into you in any arena or discipline? And they, they actually decided to tell you, hey, I just want to let you know, maybe you haven't seen them for a while, that I'm still thinking about you. And I hope you're doing well. I really enjoyed our time together. Maybe it was at work or school or, or maybe you were trying to, to raise up a child or maybe you're a teacher and you're pouring your life into some kid that was struggling. Let them know because I'm telling you, it means a lot. You don't have to pretend like you weren't struggling. Some of the greatest blessings in my life are from people who wrote me letters and cards when we planned this church and they were letting me know that they're still struggling for me in prayer. It was like they were walking alongside me even though they weren't here. It was a blessing. It's okay to be honest. The Apostle Paul was honest. He says, I have this great struggle for you and others. Verse 2, what was his purpose? That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of the understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Three things he was struggling for, his desire that their hearts might be encouraged, number one. Number two, that they, their hearts might be knit together in love. So as a church, we want to make sure the purpose of our ministry is, is to encourage, to knit together this incredible love. We're supposed to be known for our love for one another as disciples. And then finally, to reach the full assurance of understanding and knowledge of Christ. It is Christ, this knowledge, the depth of our knowledge of Christ was the final aspect. So it's not that without love, and it's not that without this community being knit together in love. It's all three. It's this beautiful picture of his ministry. In verse 4, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. And he's kind of foreshadowing what he's going to write about later in chapter 2 about all this deception. It wasn't just returning to the Mosaic law. It was, it was hearing, and, and this is one of those topics that I've touched on many times today. It was hearing from the uh, spirits and, and the worship of angels and different things. Today, so many people are, are talking about hearing a word from the Lord and, and God speaking to me. And, and I've told you this all the time. If someone ever tells you that, just ask them, like, what does he sound like? Darth Vader? Does he sound like, I don't know, Chewbacca? What does God sound like? And they're like, well, he isn't really speaking. It was kind of this inner voice. I'm like, no, no, no. That's not speaking. That's not an inner voice. The Bible talks about God's working our energy and through us, but you have to be very careful because when you start making claims of hearing words and God speaking to you, you're making a very audacious claim that God, the God of all creation, is literally speaking, giving you new revelation. It is the word of God. And to my knowledge, revelation has ceased. God convicts, his Holy Spirit convicts. He moves in our life. He works through us. But scripture is complete. God is not continuing to speak. And so they were doing this in the, in the Colossian church or aspects of it, bringing in new plausible arguments. 
Any sort of argument has to have a foundation, and the easiest way to bring in a new plausible argument is to claim it's from God. And so if you know Christ, and specifically within this community, you're, you're loving one another and your hearts are being knit together, you have a community of people that can address these new claims, these plausible arguments. You're not alone. And so you should run anything by the, this community and say, Is this, does this match what we read in the word of God? Finally, he says this in verse 5. For though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. I'll close with this. This is what we're facing today in our church. I will be stepping down as pastor at some point in the future, but we're not going to have an absence of leadership. Here they did. But any time that you have an absence in leadership, new teachings can come in where there isn't this grounding, where there isn't leadership. When there's an absence in leadership, two things usually happen. One, groups within the organization begin to pop up and there are power struggles. Two, those that are immature in the organization, especially in church of faith, they begin to struggle and they begin to get worried because an individual has left and they're wondering who's going to lead and guide the church. As a matter of fact, the early church struggled so much with this, they created this idea of an office of the Pope, that they would continue to have this man that was inspired by God, who was infallible in, in, in things that relating to faith. So it is incredibly understand, understandable that when there is an absence in, in leadership, you, you can really fall into fear and insecurity and false teachings. And, and the tendency is to go back to putting your faith in leadership. What is, is that the answer? Is that the answer to put your faith in the Apostle Paul or someone or a pastor? No, the answer here is this. For though I am absent in body, he wasn't there, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing what? To see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Christ built Blue Mountain Baptist Church. Scott did not. Our volunteers did not. God brought the people you see here together and in us serving him, he has led this church and will continue to lead it. He's in control. Your faith should never be dependent upon a minister or a person other than the person of Christ. That's how this church was founded. We didn't have all the volunteers when we got started. We didn't have you. Yet, look what God has done. The, the church is not dependent upon an individual. The church is dependent upon God. And he will provide leadership. I can just tell you, I, I can relate to the church at Colossae here. Because when I was in youth ministry, the very first time our first youth pastor left, who, who was the, our youth pastor when I got saved, I was devastated. I really was. It was like, how do I go on? But it was important and it was necessary actually because my faith grew deeper because I had to decide, especially within a, a group of people, why was I there in the first place? Was it because of him or was it because of Jesus? Not only that, but I had a role. 
it was important that I step up and that I stand and have a firm faith and to really live out what I'd been taught while others might be having trouble and I would encourage them. And I would step into leadership. Maybe it's time for you to step up. But there will be absences of leadership if you're in church long enough. Let your firmness in your faith in Christ be a foundation that you might not be fearful, that you might not be worried, and that you might not buy into false teaching as well. The struggle for maturity can be tough, but that's what God has called us to. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I, I thank you. We've talked about struggle this morning, but I also read that, that Paul was rejoicing. Ministry can be a struggle, but I, I do rejoice. I, I rejoiced this past Friday. I've rejoiced so many days and so many times in, in this ministry as I've been honored to lead it. I lift up our, our sports camp coming up this, this summer. Hundreds of kids coming to hear the gospel, Father. I just pray that uh, you'll strengthen all of our workers in that. I, I pray you'll strengthen our teachers here this morning and those downstairs. Father, I just pray that you'll give each of us the strength to make good choices every morning to follow you and mature in our faith. In Christ's name I pray this. Amen.